Short Box Summary. I'm your host, George, and we have a first-time guest today. We have got Sean from The Caption Life. Sean, how's it going? Hey, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for for coming on the show. I put out a call, it feels like months ago at this point, asking if anyone would be interested in talking about the color books. Unfortunately, Nick from uh, (laughs) None of My Friends Like Comics jumped ahead of you. I know you wanted Daredevil. I know. Well, Daredevil's my thing. And you know what's funny is I learned about your show because someone recommended your episode on the Daredevil 2003 movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, They recommended that episode to me. I listened to it, and I absolutely... Hated loved it. it. Even well, no, no. I loved it. I loved the conversation and I loved the discussion around it. Did I agree with you on some of those things? Absolutely not. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good episode. So it, the fact that you created an episode where I loved it, but I didn't agree with what you said on it, <laughs> I think tells you, like, you know, that's a really good episode. You have a really good show. If someone could like walk away and be like, you know, I didn't agree with any of that stuff, but it was still good. You know, it's, and, it's <laughs> but, like somebody I, I like, want to punch the person. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but yeah, so I'm a huge Daredevil fan and that's how I got connected with your show. Um, And when I heard that he already got Daredevil yellow, I was like, eh, that's OK. Like may- maybe some other time, you know, I can do some other Daredevil thing. But I really enjoy your show and I want to be on here. So I was like, yeah, let's let's do something else. You know, first come, first serve. I get it. So um, let's do this one. Yeah, and this one that we're talking about today, last in the color series, we finally reached the end. We are talking Captain America White today. And this is this the first time you read it? This is the first time I read it. I I didn't really even know much about the color series. Like I knew there was a Daredevil Yellow, but I didn't realize it was like a whole series that um had this in there and uh Hulk Gray and Spider-Man Blue. Like I had no idea like those are other series that kind of tied into this as well too yeah so this is the first time i've read this um and yeah so it's like really fresh in my mind because of that awesome 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 um let's get into the book in a little bit i first i want you to put your shoes on We're, we're taking a stroll back to july 2008 you ready yeah, let's do it. Ready to go back. All right, yeah. so this this book is complicated because there was a zero issue that came out July 8th, 2008, according to Marvel Unlimited. We've talked about this before. The dates are wonky, but I don't really <laughs> want to do like that much research to figure out the exact street date of these books. I'm just going to trust Marvel Unlimited. Uh, July 8th, 2008, that was three days before my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. And uh, I remember grabbing this at the comic book store, being so excited. I'm like, man, this series is going to be so good. And then... <laughs> Just fucking nothing came out for seven years. I, I had just graduated high school when Issue uh-huh. Zero came out. And I had just basically graduated grad school when the final issue of the series <laughs> came out. It, uh, it took a minute. Um, so 2008, July 2008. Pretty, pretty big month, honestly, for nerd that yes. year. Because May 2008, Iron Man comes out. July 20th, 2008. The Dark Knight comes out. And so mm-hmm. that is lighting everything up. But we are a week before The Dark Knight. So let's talk about what was in <laughs> movies. Um, I normally just do the top 10, but like there's just so much crazy shit on this. The Happening was in theaters. Oh, yeah. With the Mark Wahlberg and the yep. lawnmower scene. Like I, I remember that trailer because of because of like that person getting under the lawnmower that they had to like cut it out or something like that. Like they made a huge deal about how they couldn't air it for the public. Right. <laughs> like I, I yeah, so yeah, I remember that. 
Uh, let's see what else is in theaters before we even get into the top 10 chronicles of narnia prince caspian i don't care for that movie i don't think i ever saw it but i love the books and this is like just setting up a time and place because holy shit was were they trying to adapt those movies they couldn't do it fast enough fucking the love guru the movie that ruined mike myers career <laughs> for pretty good reason actually um yeah Don't mess with the Zohan, the Adam Sandler movie that I still don't understand how it was <laughs> successful. But for some reason, my friends love even even the ones who don't smoke plants love that movie. And I, I, <laughs> I don't get it besides Emmanuel Chikri being in the movie and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the Sex in the City movie. Those are like outside of the top 10. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe like so many. I'll say interesting movies came out that year. Like those are not the movies I was thinking about, but like, I remember I'll be honest, Indiana Jones and the crystal skulls, the kingdom crystals or whatever. Like what the hell was that? Right. Like it yeah. was really weird. Like, like it, <laughs> yeah. they had like, honestly the beginning of the movie was going really well and they had like a good trajectory. I think what killed it for me was just like at the end where it was like all these aliens and stuff like that. I'm just like, this is weird. Like even for Indiana Jones, like Indiana Jones had the whole, you know, holy grail and the ark of the covenant and, and all that like and that you know that worked really well but then when you have these aliens in here you're just like this is a little too far for indiana jones for me it was shia labeouf swinging on the goddamn vines and like i remember being oh, especially yeah. upset because i saw that movie with a girl who I had a crush on and i was like man that wasn't very good she's like i thought it was pretty good i was like really she's like yeah sexy shia labeouf just swinging through the jungle <laughs> like he's fucking tarzan yeah that was hot i was like Oh, you and I will never work out because that is just <laughs> that is just not the energy I bring <laughs> to, to life. <laughs> We're done. Uh, yeah, it's fun while it didn't last. Um, I and I think that was around the time when Shia LaBeouf was starting to get into like the the weird end where you know like, I, I forget what happened exactly, but I remember like he was kind of getting shunned a little bit because he was just saying some really interesting things that people just like he probably needs some help. Like he doesn't make sense or anything. Yeah. And I think that was like around the time that that movie came out. Cause I remember I used to like Shia LaBeouf. And I remember when that movie came out, I remember having that feeling of like, this is a weird thing for Shia LaBeouf to be in now, you know, given like everything's. It was, but like, I mean, the dude blew up from like even Stevens in his Disney days. Right. And then he was like the star of transformers, which was like, you know, the year before it was like one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And he was yep. like almost like a bonafide action star at that point. And then all yeah. of a sudden it seemed like he was getting the nod to be the next generation of indie, right? Yeah. And then yeah, you're like, holy shit. Like. <laughs> and then he was just like, man, this Hollywood movie bullshit is just nothing I want anything to do. And then he just like went to Europe and just made movies there. And and I don't know. I haven't checked in on my guy Shia. I, I really want to see the Peanut Butter Falcon, <laughs> which came out, you know, four years ago, oh, five years yeah. ago. Yeah. Keep telling myself like, oh, this Friday you should watch it, and then <laughs> I get drunk and watch basketball instead. Uh, let's talk about the top ten. Kit Kittredge, an American Girl. I did not see that movie in theaters. Oh, I haven't either. No. Yeah. Uh, number nine, The Incredible Hulk, the Ed Norton, the second movie in the MCU. This is the first time an MCU movie proper has been on the the top ten movies that we've talked about because right. 2008 is the latest we've ever talked about a book. Right. Right. Yeah. I. I didn't like that movie no, <laughs> to no. be honest and it's weird that like how that seemed like unanimous that everybody hated that movie and then when like she hulk came out like all of a sudden like we have these people like oh i love the incredible hulk i was just like where have you been no, no, you, know? you didn't yeah you fucking yeah. liar um <laughs> I had this theory about the Hulk, about like why he didn't work until Avengers, is that like the one thing Bruce Banner doesn't want to do is become the Hulk. 
And the one yeah. thing the audience wants is to see the Hulk. So every time he becomes the Hulk, you just feel like a piece of shit because you're basically like rooting for someone <laughs> to like relapse, you know? Yeah. It's like, God, yeah. I, I hope this musician fucking buys that heroin and, you know, has a killer concert. You're just like, um, <laughs> you're a bad person for thinking like that. Right. And that's the Hulk. And then finally, like Avengers was just like, no, we kind of need the big guy. And they, they yeah. like cr- crack the code. <laughs> Number eight, a movie I have only seen on an airplane and have no real affinity for, but I understand its popularity. Kung Fu Panda. I don't know if I've ever actually seen that all the way through. And that was like a year where, you know, it's Jack Black. Like, I feel like Jack Black now is very level form for me. Like, I love him. And I think it's because I've seen his kind of range with different kinds of movies that absolutely love him as an actor. But I think at that time he was doing like very stereotypical roles. And mm-hmm. I think it was just like, I was kind of like mentally checked out of Jack Black at that time. So I think that's part of the reason why I never actually went and saw Kung Fu Panda was because it was a Jack Black movie. But I will say this, I never hated him as much as I dislike Seth Rogen movies. Okay. <laughs> I I liked his weirder stuff. Like I was a huge fan, like not just Tenacious D the band, but like Tenacious D like the show on HBO. Like I remember thinking that was like Oh my uh, gosh, like, oh yeah. what beautiful rendition of absurdist comedy. <laughs> and uh then I was just like doing a fucking panda cartoon. Are you kidding me? Skadoosh. <laughs> like that's all I got to go on with, with Jack Black now. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Number six, I think an underrated movie, Get Smart. Like the reboot of the TV show starring Steve Carell and Anna Hathaway. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one either, actually. Man, I think that shit's like actually funny. Um, yeah. Number five, comic book movie. We got Wanted. Yes. James McAvoy, was... Angelina Jolie, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I remember. I can't remember if I saw it in theaters or not, but it was it was definitely. And uh, Chris Pratt was in it. Oh, that's right. He was a shitty boyfriend that his uh, girlfriend was cheating on him with, right? Yeah. Like yeah. his friend, right? His friend that works with him at the office that was cheating um, with his girlfriend, yeah. Oh, and he got um, keyboarded, right? He got smacked with the keyboard and the key and, spelled and out, fuck, t- fuck you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember being, like, kind of mad at how different that comic was, or sorry, how different that movie was from the comics, and then um, I, I just got over it, which I, I just want everyone listening <laughs> to know that, like, you can just get over stuff, man. It's okay. You don't, oh, yeah. you, don't, you don't have to hold on forever. It's fine. I know. Like, you know, there, there's... I can't think on top of my head right now, but I'm sure there was something I was upset with at the time when now I'm just like, eh, whatever. You know, like, it is what it is. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Number four, Wally. Oh, yeah. And how that's pretty much a really sad commentary on how our society is going. Yeah, yeah and how the first <laughs> half is like one of the most beautiful silent films of all time, and the second yes. half just fucking sucks. I'm so- I don't mean to be that guy who just hates on Wally, but like that, the first half of that movie is absolutely perfect and beautiful and poignant. Yeah. And yeah. goddamn, to the fat people, and <laughs> the people just piss me off. Number three, The Rock trying to break through that Hollywood bubble journey to the center of the earth. Never saw that. Didn't Never interested in me. Yeah, I think it was, was playing. One. <laughs> I think it was playing on a bus uh, that I took to Boston once, and even then. Watch it on mute. Just listen to my iPod mini. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, had, I had too much emo music to listen to, to, to yeah. be bothered with the rock. <laughs> Number two, not a comic book movie, but a comic book inspired movie. I'd say Hancock, Will Smith and Charlize Theron, yes. I think, and Peter Berg, directed by Peter Berg. Yes, that was a fantastic movie. I absolutely love that one. It's it's definitely, it's very, it's a very different kind of movie about superheroes that you're not 
used to. And I thought, you know, everybody involved, like just gave a stellar performance. I forget the, who was the person that played Charlize Theron's um, husband in that movie? Cause Hancock saved him. And that's how they like connected. It was, it was like a big name actor. I can't remember who it is though. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. I know. Like it's been a long time since I've seen, it. but I remember it was like, it was kind of like a big name actor or up and coming actor at that time. This is also like at a time when I was still interested in like, what if it, there was X version of Superman? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, a little, little, little burnt out on that concept now. Um, <laughs> but back then I was like, Oh, it's a, what a thought provoking yeah. study. Uh, on the, <laughs> <laughs> this deconstructionist take on the character. Right. And I'm like, Homelander, get the fuck out of here. Uh, number <laughs> one at the box office, a comic book movie, Hellboy Two: the golden army. What? That was number one? For that weekend of July 11th. For that day, at least, of July 11th. Seriously? Pulled in... Wow. Was it opening weekend? Because it, oh, it, was, it was opening weekend. It pulled in okay. 30, 34 million that weekend. Just beating out Hancock, which had been in theaters for two weeks, and pulled in 32 million that weekend. Oh, man. Or, yeah, sorry, yeah. Not even, I don't even think that weekend, that Friday. That Friday. Gotcha. Yeah, it's... um. Hellboy 2 is such a terrible movie, you know. Yeah, thank you. Everyone fucking raves <laughs> about it. I think that movie's dog shit. I love the first one. I think the first one is like clearly better. Yeah, the first one's good. I didn't, uh, I, didn't I didn't get the love for the second one. Yeah. You know, and and I never read any of the Hellboy comics before seeing the movie. Like I think I knew it was a comic book character, but I've never read it before. And the first one, I mean the first one was was pretty good. Like there were some things I was like, yeah, it's kind of a little hokey for me. And I say this as somebody that grew up Catholic. I was just like, this is a little bit sketch. <laughs> a little out, out there for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's very much a Catholic kind of, you know, themes and all that. Um, but yeah, Hellboy 2, I remember watching that. I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I even remember I went to see it with two of my buddies. And like, <laughs> we were all, like, they remember this very differently than I do. But we were all in agreement. I said, hey, why don't we watch Hellboy 2? And they're both like, yeah, that's a, you know, we liked the first one. Let's go watch that one. So we went and saw it and we all hated it. And then they turned on me and said, thanks for suggesting that movie. I'm like, you guys agreed to it. Like, yes, I said, why don't we watch it? But it's not like I dragged you guys to the movie theaters to watch it. Like, that's how bad it was is when my friends turned on me to, to blame me for it, you know? So, but that, I was about to say, that's the only explanation I could figure out why that would be number one in any instance is that it was opening weekend and people didn't know any better. Well, you nailed it. It was opening weekend. Um, also, I skipped one. Number seven, Meet Dave, the Eddie Murphy movie where he's technically a spaceship being piloted by many aliens. And so we can move past that and just talk more about Hellboy. I felt like I saw like a fucking different movie because my friends were like, God, that was so good. What an incredible vision. And I'm like, are, are you sure? Are you sure that movie had incredible vision? Yeah. Like I don't even remember what it was about. Like that's how bad it was for me. Like I think it, there was a brother and a sister and awkward sexual tension before Game of Thrones, and there was a ar army. Oh my god! Yeah, that's kind of. Oh my god! That's all I got. Oh yeah, I mean that's you know usually like there are movies that you've seen like you know maybe even once and you still remember like what the plot was about and some details stuff like that. Like that one, I'm just like I can't remember a single thing. Like I remember the the woman had like frost powers but i yeah. also know like she brought that out like i think in the first movie as well too mm -hmm. like towards the end yeah, just, so i was like in, maybe it's a residual from that but it's like i can't remember anything about the second movie no in one eye out the other for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> could, could, could not recall anything about it um let's yeah. move on to the the songs the the top five on the billboards 
Uh, this is for week of July 12th, my 18th birthday week. Um, number five, Burning Up by the Jonas Brothers. I have no opinions on the Jonas Brothers <laughs> whatsoever. And I'm not trying to be a dick. I know they were around. Um, I had one of those like radio FM receivers for my iPod. Oh, yeah. So I was able to connect to like 87.9 FM. And I just, yeah, I, I kind of gave up on radio at that point. <laughs> you know, it, what's funny is like, yeah, like when, when we were growing up, it was radio like all, all the time now. Like I don't even listen to radio. It's everything is you know, Apple, you know, music or podcast or whatever for me, because I have an iPhone and like, I hardly ever listen to radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jonas Brothers, like I, there's a couple songs of theirs I like, but I, I never heard of that one before. So I can't even remember what that one goes. So yeah, I don't have an opinion on this one either. Number four, Take a Bow by Rihanna. I think I had started to come around to Rihanna at this point. Like I really like Ponder Replay, which I think was like her first big hit in like 2006. But then mm -hmm. I just got a little like burnt out because it felt like she was everywhere. And then I really came back with, um, I forget the name of the album, but the one that had uh, Only Girl in the World. I think that's like one of the best pop songs of the last like 40 years. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm back fully on Bad Girl Riri train now, but uh, Take a Bow, <laughs> I remember hearing, but you know, I would never like turn it up in my car. I would never turn it up at a party. Right, right. Is that is that the one that like says that has the lyrics like "You look so dumb right now"? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think actually the first time I heard that song, interesting enough, is I think when Glee was airing. I think they did a, a cover of that on the show, and I think that was actually the first time I heard it. And I remember thinking like, "That's a really good song." And he looked that up, and and um, that's how I got introduced to it. And it's funny because like growing up again you listen to radio to find out like what songs are out there. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you would go to like, you know, to discreet play or I, I forget what I remember. There was like always this huge music store that we went to, to get CDs and all that. You could get like the full album or you could get the single that has, you know, bonus uh, episodes. But then, you know, I think watching TV shows introduced me to music. And nowadays it's like the only way I learn about new music is through TikTok because some clips of songs will be, you know, um, like trending sounds and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that's a really good song. I need to look that up and see what that right. is. Um, but yeah, I remember that one specifically. I heard on Glee first. I actually heard a cover of it first before I actually heard the 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 original song. That makes sense. I think Glee was like just about to start that fall. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, great. I'm with you. Like now I get all my music either from like shuffle on YouTube because I like, I sound like such an alcoholic on this show. I like to have a <laughs> glass of wine and just watch music videos and just like <laughs> put shit on shuffle, put shit on random. Yeah. Um, That, or I just like get my music from letter Kenny. Cause I think that show has an excellent soundtrack, but you're right. Like this was the era. Like, Oh, what was that song at the end of scrubs? That shit was really good. Or like, Oh my oh, God, that song is so good. Yeah. The, the OC <laughs> one tree Hill. Like, just like, fuck, what is this song? Like, all right. So good. Well, then that that one song where like the he shot his brother and then Saturday Night Live did a parody of oh, that yeah, whole yeah. scene. And it, it, just Imogen, Imogen Heap, babe. Yeah, I know that. 
Yeah. Oh my god. But the eight, the OC, like I know, not to get too off track, but like that is a really good drama show. And I'm like not really into drama, but like that one's just like really, you know, beautiful in a lot of ways. But the music was like on par with that kind of show in terms of you know matching the emotion and the levels and everything was. Really but uh, uh, unironically, probably my favorite TV show of all time. Oh man, I, 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 I don't I blame fucking you. Love the OC. Yeah. The, yeah. The first season is just perfect television. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of perfect, number three, my favorite song on this top five, it is Bleeding Love by Liana Lewis. Summer of 2008, I was like still kind of getting over like a bad breakup. And uh, I, like, for the first time in months, like, finally started, like, dating people. Uh, but every once in a while, I'd catch myself driving home after work, and just, like, this song would come on the radio when I couldn't, like, you know, my iPod died or whatever. And I just, like, this is one I would absolutely fucking crank, like, blow out my speakers. I love this song so yeah. much. Yeah. I I associate that song with the movie No Strings Attached because Ashton Kutcher's character made like a period mix for Natalie Portman and that song was on it. <laughs> I can't ever like hear that song without thinking about that scene in that movie now. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I didn't see that movie until like only a couple of years ago because I fell firmly on the friends with benefits side of the No Strings uh, Attached FWB war. Um, yeah. I just, I love Mila Kunis, but I think No Strings Attached is like probably the better movie. Uh, it's definitely darker than, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially the, the funeral scene. Oh, God. <laughs> like um, the most inappropriate thing you could laugh at, but you couldn't like not laugh at that. <laughs> no, no. It's just like, wow, they're, they're really playing four dimensional chess with my brain right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, song number two, Lollipop by Lil Wayne featuring Static Major. I feel bad. This song was number two. It was on the chart for 16 weeks at this point. I like I couldn't even tell you the melody of the song. I feel like a bad 18-year-old. No, you know, I I feel like the name sounds familiar and I feel like it I'm have like a ghost memory of the melody like I could feel a nag in my head somewhere right now but I I couldn't sing it to save my life right now if I had to. So Yeah, well I'm going to add it in post just like a little 15 second clip so I don't get sued and I'm going to be like <laughs> fuck this one. Yes. <laughs> uh song number 1 I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry. Man, this song was a fucking black hole. You couldn't escape <laughs> this song's orbit if you tried to. It was everywhere. And like, what's interesting is that was the song that really launched Katy Perry into popularity um but what's interesting about it is like you know part of the reason why i don't want to popularity is because you know the 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 topic at hand and like how how you know let's be honest like you know 
horny teenage boys. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a little queer baby too for uh for horny teenage girls. Let's not leave them out, you know. Like, yeah, no, no, definitely, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I think in that regards, though, I mean, no, you're right. It's 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 not, you know, just for that one particular demographic. It's a wider demographic, but I think it's the first time that such a topic has been so popularly sung in that kind of way, at least in, in that time period of like the two thousands and everything um, that launched her to that kind of popularity. But then all of her songs that came out after that were just really good. And, and it wasn't like, you know, it, I was glad to see that all of her other songs end up doing really well and that they were really good. And that her like one hit wasn't just because of like what she was singing about necessarily. Mm-hmm. because she's has like a very talented voice and is a very talented performer with her concerts and stuff like that. So I'm like glad that it launched, you know, it launched her into that sort of fandom. I love all of her songs. And like anytime that she puts out something like I absolutely, she's one of my favorite singers just to listen to. Cause he really puts out some really good music out there. Oh, I just remember like this song came out, like the first time I ever saw her actually was in a fucking gym class heroes music video. She would like, that song Cupid's Chokehold, like take a look at my girlfriend. She's the only one I got. Oh, she yeah, plays yeah. his fucking girlfriend in the music video. Oh, <laughs> like, I didn't realize she, that. Uh, she plays like the last one that he ends up with. And so yeah. I remember seeing this music video for um for I Kiss a Girl. I was like, why does she look so familiar? No way! Like, yeah. she, <laughs> that's her. And then like that came out, then Hot and Cold came out. I was like, oh, this isn't very good. California girls, like, oh, this is whatever. But then all right. of a sudden, like Teenage Dream came out. And I was like, this is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my entire life. This captures the spirit of youth so eloquently in in three and a half minutes. And like, I like cried the first time I heard it. I was just like, holy shit, like this is so pretty. And uh, yeah, I was happy. And then she lost me with Swish Swish. And I'm like, you're fucking. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're fucking (laughs) unredeemable, Katy Perry. I'm out. Yeah. See, when when that song came out, um, I was teaching at a Catholic high school. And it was interesting. I remember I had this vivid memory of like when it was like so popular, like they would play it on the radio or, you know, play it at like events or whatever. And not at the Catholic high school, but like there would be like places where, you know, it's blaring on someone's radio, something like that. And like, I just remember vividly like all the girls like get really into it and like start really singing it. And then I remember looking over and like the boys were staring at the girls and you could tell like they were kind of thinking about <laughs> Puberty is real. I, I think that's yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in real time. Yeah. And that and that's why I said, like, you know, it's really for those for those um teenage boys because my I had a vivid memory of like noticing that I was just like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um we set the stage. I feel like I'm firmly back in in 2008 I don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, I I will say me personally for 2008 like what you mentioned uh the dark knight came out which i absolutely love that movie it's one of my favorite comic book movies ever um that has come out um which again you know this was like the week after um or the week before yeah the week before sorry that came out but what also came out that year was iron man that kicked off the mcu Mm-hmm. Um, this was also the year that I got married. So I, I always made a joke with my wife that I always know what year we got married in because that was the same year that Ant- Iron Man came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So and um, more more importantly too, I believe the same year that Forgetting Sarah Marshall came out. Like while we're while we're oh, talking while yes. we're talking about important pieces of art and and <laughs> and your marriage, yeah, in, inextricably yeah. linked by two thousand eight. Um, you know what? Actually, I have like a really awkward uh experience with that movie. I've never seen it before. Um, when I went over to my parents and my siblings were there. My youngest brother, Luke said, Hey, we should watch this movie called forgetting Sarah Marshall. And he said this to my parents and to my mom, who's a very, very staunch devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. And we watched the movie with them. And like, when it got to some of these scenes, I was like, I cannot believe he suggested this movie. And my mom was silent the whole time. And at the end of the movie, she was like, that is not a very family friendly movie. No, no, it's not. But that was that was like the one of the first movies I remember seeing, like after my breakup. And like it was like when I was like finally starting to get over my big breakup. Yeah. And my friend, like my best friend, just like kept looking at me the entire time whenever he was having like a bad episode, like in the movie, it's just like fuck, is George going to kill himself? Like, is he okay? <laughs> and like, I was like, finally like laughing about it. He's just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. But is, he, is he okay now? And <laughs> yeah, that, that, that movie, man, it's, it's something different for everyone. Um, well, you know, Jason Siegel wrote that movie because of a bad breakup he had. Oh, it was a bad breakup with Linda Cardellini. Oh, is that who it was? Yeah, yeah. Chick from, oh, I didn't uh, even know they were dating. Yeah, oh, my God. Freaks and Geeks and ER yeah. and yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, um, I think I came across a TikTok where they showed the interview of like how he got the idea, and I guess like he got the idea like not just because of the breakup, but like during the breakup. The breakup. Yeah, yeah. So like a lot of what you're seeing is like what actually happened to him during this breakup. I saw an interview where he's just like, as soon as she left, it's like the towel like actually fell off, and like you know he's just naked in front of the girl who's breaking up with him. <laughs> yeah. And he said like, as soon as she left, he's like, I immediately like pulled out a piece of paper and wrote that down. I was like, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's... All right, all right. Captain America: White Zero comes out July eighth, two thousand eight. It is written by Jeff Loeb, drawn by Tim Sale. With mm-hmm. colors by Dave Stewart, lettering by Richard Starkings, and designed by John Rochelle. Let's talk about it holistically. What did you think of Captain America White? This is your first time. Yeah, so this was really interesting um, because, as you said, this is a Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale uh, comic book series who is also very well known for um, creating the long Halloween for Batman over at DC Comics. And so the storytelling and art is kind of reminiscent of that a little bit. Um, I will be honest to say that some of the art like was really, really like spectacular. And there's some things I was just like, like what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, like I remember Iron Man's mask, like it almost looked like it had like a, the way that it was drawn almost looked really reminiscent of the Scarlet Witch's crown, but it was like on his face. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So there was like just some odd moments. I was like, that's kind of a weird take for the illustration, but um, overall it was really interesting because it's clearly like it's being narrated after Steve Rogers gets, you know, discovered from, uh, you know, being under ice and all that. And he like comes back to, you know, present day and everything like that. And so, we get this narration of him kind of telling the story as though he's talking to Bucky, which we find out that, you know, at this time, Bucky is dead for Steve Rogers. Like no one knows that he's alive and all that. And as we know, like he actually comes back as a winter soldier and everything. So this was kind of like in between that time of when that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I think overall it was a, it was a really interesting story. It was really cool to see um, Nick Fury kind of having that connection with Steve Rogers, because, you know, for those who only know Nick Fury in the MCU and not the comic books, like Nick Fury is actually, I don't think they ever explained this, but he's actually someone that lived for a long time. And no, I don't think anyone knows like if he's a mutant or like what it is. Oh, that... it's, it's the infinity formula, baby. That's, that's all it is. It's, that's it's, what he's it got is. that infinity juice running through him. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Cause I, cause again, like I never really read much about him in the comics. And so I was kind of, I remember I did some research about it. And it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot known about it, but yeah, now you say that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember reading about that. Um, I will say that there's a lot of great moments in the series as a whole. I think um, the relationship between Steve and Bucky is really interesting in that there's a lot of mixed feelings I have with it. Like I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, they they definitely have a bond that is kind of unbreakable. And you kind of see that with how they approach you. So just like with, um, you know, when he calls him James and when he calls him Bucky. Right. And like yeah. when he calls him James, like how that has this a lot of connotation for Bucky in terms of what it means when he calls him James and how he doesn't like that for a number of reasons. Um, it's very much a Batman and Robin feel kind of relationship. Um. Bucky is very young in this um, and, and it's just kind of odd because again, like Robin is young as well too. So there's a lot of like overlap with that kind of uh, relationship that they have there. But there was just like, I think there was this moment. I'm like, this is kind of like an odd relationship as well too. Like, like I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at, at times. Um, but it was really interesting just to kind of see that this was something that um it was like a one moment in history of their relationship of like one moment that they had throughout their tenure in the 1940s during world war two. Right. So it wasn't like this whole grand story of, you know, they're trying to, you know, stop the red skull. And then they're, you know, then they, you know, destroyed him and killed him or whatever. There was actually like, it's almost like a battle story where it's just like one battle out of minis that they had in here. So it was really interesting to kind of see it from that aspect of the series didn't really focus on, the action or the um, conflict with the Red Skull as like that climactic experience and trying to sum up the story. It really focused on what was going on during the battle and between um, Steve Rogers, Bucky, Nick Fury, uh, Madeline, who's the um, who's the uh, French woman that they end up teaming up with and stuff like that. And so it was a really interesting story that it really focuses more on those kinds of relationships and I think the fact that they didn't really put it under the background of like this huge event that, you know, was really fin uh, a finale because we, because we know that Bucky died like and and Steve um, felt responsible for that. And he knew that Bucky died, I guess, before he went under and th this didn't happen in the story arc. And so we're really seeing that it's, it's because I was expecting him to fully die in the final issue when he didn't, I was like, okay, so we're not seeing this in the story. We're just seeing, a moment that they had in their relationship before he died with all this. And so it was a really interesting story to kind of take it as we're not going to focus on the overarching story of like this, you know, good versus evil type of thing, but we're going to take like one battle and kind of focus like what happens between the relationships with all the people here. And yes, Red Skull is in there and, and um, Von Stucker is in there and all that. And, um, the 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 French mercenary, I forget his name, but he's in it as well too. Like they're in it, but it's not a story where you know the evil 
you know, the battle between good to evil gets resolved here. This is just like one, one battle, you know, before, right. you know, the um, Captain America goes under ice and all that. So I think it was a really interesting story for a number of different reasons. Um, for, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very different than anything else. I think that what's interesting is that I know from reading some of the pages um, that they had in Captain America white, that they talked about how each series, they pick a color um, so Hulk is gray, Daredevil is yellow, Spider-Man's blue, or um, yeah, blue, like we talked yeah. about, and then Captain America's white. So I was like expecting a lot of like white in it in terms of colors, but you didn't really get to see that. At least it wasn't like prominent or anything like that, you know. No, because like a lot of the story took place at like night. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think uh I think this is probably the most confusing book in the color series like most of my criticisms about it don't actually have anything to do with the book itself but like has to do with the concept that i thought was established for this series right Mm -hmm. and so like i think part of that is because we talked about like the huge delay between the issues right issue zero like we said comes out 2008 issue one doesn't come out until 2015 right yeah and people change you know like 2008 Mm -hmm. was already uh, a couple years after spider spider-man Blue was 2003. Daredevil Yellow, I think, was like 2001. Hulk Gray might have been 2004, might have been 2002. I can't remember. Like, they just took time off and, like, you know, they developed their own things in the meantime. Like, Jeff Loeb wrote fucking Heroes, you know, like the TV show, and Tim Sale was doing art for Heroes and and other things, I'm sure. But, like, you know, people (laughs) change, people grow. But, like, this book, like, Brace the convention of like centering it around a specific moment, right? Like a specific right. point in continuity. Cause like Daredevil Yellow, all about the death of Karen Page, which was then like current continuity because she had just died in like the Kevin Smith run. Right. Right. And so that was like a reflection. He was writing a letter, right? Like he was sharing a story to someone. Hulk Gray was uh Banner talking to Doc Sampson. It was like a conversation, like a therapy session where right. he was talking about Betty because I believe in the comics too, Betty had just died at that point. So like these were like complimentary guys. <laughs> yeah, right. And like yeah. um I think uh Spider-Man Blue was all about the death of Gwen Stacy, obviously, but like I'm trying to think like I think it was his wedding anniversary around that time in the comics. Like I think that was around mm. like issue five hundred. And right. so I'm sure like they sort of like tapped into like the guilt he was feeling about you know Gwen Stacy and like how Mary Jane changed because she died. But they were all and he, that those were tapes that he was recording like to mm-hmm. Gwen, like and this didn't have that same conceit, right? Like it was literally just like thoughts that he was having. This wasn't like him sharing anything with anyone. And you're right. This isn't like a specific event. This is just some random battle. Like this could have been like a backup in the current Captain America book, which like, yeah, yeah. It was, was so confusing. Cause like Bucky was alive in continuity this time. And I think this right. book was coming out as like, at least issue zero anyway, was coming out like as the Marvel Knights line was kind of slowly dissolving because for all intents and purposes, like the main continuity Marvel just became the Marvel Knights line, right? Like it used right. to be like high end, pristine, like the best authors, best creators involved. And then that just became the entire line. Right. So they, they didn't need Marvel Knights anymore. So like right. the entire publishing imprint that it was under was obsolete at that point. So like the book followed suit. And so like, those mm-hmm. are my biggest criticisms with the book. I think the art is really pretty. I think Dave Stewart actually adds something to the colors here. That's really interesting. Like, not quite a softness because I actually think like a lot of the the coloring itself is actually kind of harsh, like compared to like the Matt Hollingsworth stuff that was done right. on 
uh, Daredevil Yellow, especially just that one's like the freshest. Like, I think those books are softer and feel more Silver Age, whereas this one feels rougher and actually feels like a like a war book because of it. Yeah. It's like you feel like the charcoal in the book, right? Like that's like the the, the blacking that they do for the inks. Right. Yeah. I, I think especially the backgrounds are a little bit more like brushed than it is where it's like kind of a clean color type of thing, which I actually like because there are some, um, there's a lot of panels that they had where the background was just kind of a, like a gradient single color. Mm -hmm. So the focus was really on like what was happening in the scene. Um, they've had other panels where you saw what, what's in the background and all that, but there were some panels where it was just a gradient, you know, soft color that seemed like it was kind of, roughly brushed that wasn't smooth over or anything like that um i think the colors for the characters and like when there's detailed stuff like that was a little bit smoother but I, I think you're right in that um it's definitely it seemed like it it was just more of um of a brushed feeling of like you know they kind of just did a swipe on it and and didn't really you know smooth it out to make it like a solid solid color or whatever it almost looked like you were looking at an actual painting in some of these panels you know yeah um so but yeah i mean it's it's I agree. Like with this one, it was unclear, you know, with Steve Rogers thoughts, like what was actually going on as he was talking about this, because in, in the first issue, issue one, not issue zero, because issue zero, like it's kind of, I, I don't even know like how issue zero issue one is related to one another, because it's almost like there's these two moments that happen, but like almost had nothing to do with each other until issue two. Um, but in issue one, we see that he wakes up from, you know, being under ice and like is getting brought back up to speed with, you know, where they're at now with Nick Fury. And he's like surprised Nick Fury is still alive and doesn't mm -hmm. look like it's changed and all that. Um, but then he just kind of goes back into um, his memory is like his first memory with Bucky and and, um, you know, going into like the movie theaters and then going back to um, Camp Lehigh and then uh, um, I think I pronounced that right. Yeah. It, okay. And then, you know, Bucky found out that, you know, Steve Rogers was Captain America, you know, because he walked in on him changing into his Captain America suit and everything. But as he's nearing whoa, whoa, this... Whoa, 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 you're spoiling my spoilers. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> what? Um, but it's interesting because when he's narrating this, it's not like what you said with the other books where, you know, they're doing like video record or uh, I'm sorry, um, audio recordings or writing a letter or whatever. It's just like he's just thinking about these things. So I'm like fully expecting by the end of the series that we see him like writing a letter or, or doing like a video recorder, like something to show like why he's having these thoughts, but they, they don't really explain that part. Like that's the part that seems odd is just that they went into it and just the dialogue is just him thinking about these things. Well that, and like additionally, like we talked about like how those other books were like complimentary titles, right? Like additional things to be reading to like the main line. This book right. technically takes place a month after Steve got out of the ice, right? Like right. it's, and so it's like so far removed from contemporary comics that like it it I don't want to say it betrays the other books in the line like these are creators and like they can do whatever the fuck they want I don't care but <laughs> but like it just feels kind of like off theme compared to the other three which just feel a little tighter just in terms of construction and conceit right not, not in terms of execution but like just like the actual organization of the book feels way off compared to the other three and I don't right. think that makes it worse but i do think it makes it interesting and definitely uh well, it's, it's, maybe, it's, maybe, maybe worse actually <laughs> that i think about it yeah no i mean i think it's like as long as it's not something that is supposed to tie into like what's going on currently like i'm totally fine with that because i think it's always nice like 
when you have a, a publishing company like Marvel DC, where they have all these stories going on that you can actually read a limited series that's self-contained and not feel like you have to read all these other books to kind of get caught up on stuff. Cause I felt like when I read this, that I didn't really have to like read some of the other stuff to know what was going on. Like I, I have a, you know, a working memory of, you know, who Captain America, Steve Rogers in the relationships and, and all that stuff that's happening here. Um, but I feel like, you know, someone who probably never read a comic book, but they know, you know, like the MCU and stuff like that, they could probably pick up some stuff here and like, yeah, be able to read the, this. the broad strokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And be self-contained. I think, you know, that's kind of nice because then you can be able to do that without like, you know, worrying about continuity in the current run, but it's just like, you know, here's a side story or like a backup story, like what you said, but kind of like in its own little, you know, uh, self-contained story that you don't have to read anything else to do that. So I, so I kind of like the fact that it's presented like that. And and it's clear that this is happening like right after he comes off, um, he, he gets revived from the ice, you know? So it's not like one of those things where they just kind of dive right into the past of it. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of surprised with like what happens at the end when he, you know, visits his own memorial and stuff like that. Um, I'm always okay with when they try to do something a little bit different with the story that doesn't have to exactly match with continuity, you know, like, like for example, um, Savage Avengers that came out recently, that's written by David Pepos. Um, That's one of those stories where you can read it by itself and you don't have to know like what's going on the rest of the Marvel universe to keep up with, with what's happening in the story, because it's a self-contained story. It's technically working inside of the current timeline, the Marvel universe, but you don't have to know everything that's going on and the other, you know, stories of these characters to be able to keep up with what's happening in this story. Mm -hmm. I think I really like this book, but I think this book has the most faults of, of all of them. And again, like, I feel bad for saying that because it's literally just in terms of like editorial organization. Like, it's like the outline was, was boffed, but the story is really good. I do think the story is confusing because like, not, not in terms of, like, narrative, but, like, the Ed Brubaker run, when issue zero came out anyway, like, Bucky had been back for three years. Like, Bucky was Captain America at this point, you know? And so right. it's just, like, Steve lamenting, like, oh, man, I can't believe I let you die. Whereas, like, in a way, Bucky let Steve die in current continuity, you know? So, like, that, right. uh, like, it wasn't, like, filling, I guess it was filling a need, right? Because, like, we didn't have Steve cap books at that time. So, like, it was kind of scratching that itch. But mm-hmm. I just think it's really interesting and like kind of fascinating that like this was like the story they decided to tell when they decided to tell it because the other books like almost lined up with theatrical releases. Like I'm pretty sure that like Daredevil Yellow, it lined up with Karen Page's death and it almost lined up at least when like the movie was like optioned by Fox, right? I don't think right. the movie didn't come out until 2003. I think that book came out in summer or spring of 2001. So like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't, it didn't line up with like the Spider-Man Blue lined up with um, the Spider-Man 2. Right, like that was coming out like around the same mm-hmm. time, and I'm pretty sure Hulk Ray lined up with the Hulk movie, right? And so those felt like more deliberate, and like Captain America wouldn't come out until 2011. So like th- this book yes. jumped jumped the gun a little bit, but like this book is so much more accurate, I guess, to the Captain America movie we got than the current Captain America book. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, like just so many masters for this book, you know, so many different purposes to serve. Um, I think because of the coloring specifically, this might be like my favorite like probably like the one i would reread the most there are some weird issues and we're going to jump into that in just a second when we do issue by issue breakdowns 
All right. So Captain America White Zero comes out July 8th, 2008, written by Jeff Loeb, drawn by Tim Sale, colors by David Stewart, letters by Richard Starkings, and designed by John Rochelle. Steve Rogers and James Buchanan Barnes return to Fort Lehigh after a night out at the movies. Buck makes his way into Steve's tent unannounced and sees him changing into his Captain America uniform and immediately runs away, embarrassed for learning a secret he shouldn't have. But Cap catches up and begins training him. Once he gets approval from his superiors, Cap gives the boy a new uniform and lets him choose a new name, deciding on Bucky. The two parachute behind enemy lines and blow up a cachet of Nazi musicians, uh, sorry, not musicians, Nazi munitions, but Bucky has a close call and Steve lets him have it. And he says, quote, maybe I did come down too hard on you that first night, or maybe I didn't come down hard enough and you'd still be alive. That's issue zero. <laughs> so th- this is a little bit of my theory about uh, what went wrong for Anakin and Obi-Wan in the prequels. <laughs> is yeah. that um, Obi-Wan thought he had a brother and Anakin thought he had a dad. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier about like the the age discrepancy. They actually mentioned this in issue zero. There's pretty uh, illuminating interviews with Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. And I scanned through those for some nuggets. And uh, Tim Sale turns out not a DC fan growing up. And so I actually think that might be why his DC books are better because he's like detached from the material. Right. Uh, and he he takes like the Marvel stuff a little bit more personally, but he talks about it, about like the big age discrepancy between Robin and Batman specifically. Right. And yeah. how it's like, oh, he's like, what, 20, 25 and Robin's 10. Like that's, you know, worlds <laughs> apart from each other. But yeah. Bucky's like a teenager and Cap is like 20, you know, it's like they're a little bit closer. So that kind of does like muddy the relationship because like, Steve, I guess, is older, but it seems like Bucky's been through more, like he's a bit more experienced, right? Yeah, it, it's really interesting because just like we said in the issue, I think Captain, you know, specifically said that he's about seven years older than Bucky. Mm-hmm. So even though like year wise, they're not that far apart, they're still drawn very like differently in terms of age. So it's like watching this play out, like Bucky just looks very young and Steve looks, you know, like he's in his thirties. And so it's the jaw, though, it's the jawline man, right? Like it's, it's the jawline. It's, it's Buck. I mean, Bucky just looks like, you know, just like a, a really young kid, but I mean, you're right. Like it gives you the impression that he's went through a lot with, um, you know, being orphaned and, um, some of the other stuff they had, like, you know, they kind of briefly talked about that and, and, and how he's, you know, struggled a lot, um, that the world was against him going up but um but yeah so it's so they definitely talk about how the age difference is not that big but they're still kind of drawn and their relationship still has a difference i think you nailed on the head is that what they're expecting to get out of the other person for the relationship is very different because i think in what you're saying bucky wanted probably wanted a a brother and i think steve wanted to as well too but he kept acting like a parent figure well, especially when he, he when he calls him James specifically, yes. like that is such a fucking dad thing to do, right? Right. Well, and what I love about, I think this ends up showing up in issue four, but he kind of explains that, um, you know, he he's human. He still makes mistakes. Like even though everyone like looks up to him as like this, you know, perfect soldier and all that, it's like you know he's still going to make mistakes. And and I think that was like really good for him to admit and share that, and and that like because he even knew that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why he said that, like he admitted that was a mistake and he felt really bad about it. He kind of like, you know, leaned into Bucky about that a little bit. But I think when he said that to Bucky, he kind of realized like, OK, yeah, he's not, you know, that was just a reaction. That's not how he really feels and everything. So 
um sorry i know my video is like really blurry right now oh, good. Nice. from time to time oh, yeah oh, okay. <laughs> no video here i like i like the privacy i like the anonymity no one knows what my face looks like that's fine <laughs> right um i think this is like a really good issue but you're right it just it feels so disconnected from the rest of the book a little bit yeah i mean it's just uh well especially when issue one like so so this issue issue number zero i think by itself is like a, just a really good um introduction to their relationship right like it, it establishes the age gap it establishes you know uh, um their relationship with each other and ha- like especially when Bucky said like he doesn't like it when Steve calls him James for a number of reasons and all that. Like it's a really good single issue that wraps up like how their relationship is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you get to issue one, again, that starts off with Steve coming out from the ice and like going into this memory he had of them with the war. And then what's even weirder is that issue zero shows up in issue one, but like after that fact. So I think that's what makes it, really weird at least for me on marvel limited which is where i read it at yeah is that i'm like i mean i it kind of makes sense but at the same time not really like i get why they put it together there because like you said like you know there's a seven year gap between issue zero came out and issue one so it's kind of nice to have both of those in there but um yeah, why wasn't yeah, why was wasn't issue zero first and also like why are they two separate series on yeah on marvel limited exactly yeah i know because i remember like sending you the message and i sent you a screenshot i was like are these like both the books I have to, or both the series I read? Because there's like this series that's one issue, and then the mm-hmm. other series that's five issues. I was just like, but they're both called Captain America White, like, and they're by the same people. So right. yeah, yeah. Not uh, not Marvel editorial's most shining moment. No, no, it's it's um like I mean, like you said, this is a really good issue in and of itself, and I think that's what. Um, I think, you know, this will definitely be a, a issue that stands out from the rest just because it really does a good, really good job of a kind of like establishing, um, establishing what, you know, the dynamics between those two, especially if you've never seen the relationship before, if, if you've only been like someone that's read Captain America, but never seen Bucky that showed up before and anywhere else, this is kind of like a good introductory, like a good primer to it, basically. Uh, because you kind of get the backstory a little bit through Steve's narration. You get um, an understanding of Bucky, how he supported Steve and how Steve wants to kind of support him in the same way and, and stuff like that. And then how they end up being, you know, sidekick or like how Bucky ends up being his sidekick and all that. Um, it's a really good establishing primer to kind of get that introduction into their relationship and 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 what it's like between the two. Again, very reminiscent of of Batman and Robin, though. Like, I, I just felt like I was watching a Batman and Robin comic unfolding in my in front of me, even though there it's not the same personalities. I think it's just like the same dynamic is is kind of similar with that, um, with with how they kind of interact with each other and just kind of like how it's perceived, you know, among themselves as well as like by other people and everything. I think you're right, too. And I think what's interesting is that, like, Captain America and Batman are, like, kind of from the same era, right? Like, they're both from right. late 30s. And I wonder, one, if it doesn't feel that way in the other books, because there's no sort of, like, partner relationship, right? Like, there's no, like, I, I guess in Hulk Gray, there's, you know, Banner and, and Rick. But, like, besides that, like, yeah, that whole idea seemed to be, like, kind of out of style by the time those books came around. Like, those are, you know, from 20 years after they're 
these characters were created. And so like, I wonder if that was like a subconscious thing by these creators who are just like, you know, drawing from the same era of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, another noticeable distinction is that Batman kind of pseudo adopts um, Dick Grayson. And so it's kind of like this weird, like it's something that probably wouldn't be written now. It's like, you know, why is this guy, you know, adopting this kid and then like making him a sidekick and stuff like that. Um, and so like you have that kind of not just, fighting partner relationship but you also have that home life relationship that they have with each other like you don't know what kind of relationship they should have Mm -hmm. whereas with this one you know they already grew up with each other like that's already been established like they kind of know each other from before right um so i think that really helps kind of with that dynamic and then this is in with the backdrop of both of them being the military which again like even though we know that Bucky is probably like 17 or 18 years old when he's in the military. He just looks significantly younger than that. Um, and even Red Skull makes a mention about that, like how he thinks, you know, he looks like a child trying to find a war and everything. And so um, so it's kind of like the, like an odd thing to see, but because it's in the backdrop of them being belonging uh, in the military and they're all, you know, stationed at a camp and stuff like that, it's kind of, it's not a private life that they have with that relationship. It's, you know, it's inside the military that's more of a public forum than like, you know, Bruce Wayne having a manner that's just him, Alfred and Dick Grayson. So, right. yeah. So I think the relationship, you know, the fact that they've had one before they became, you know, um, a fighting duo and all that, I think really helps solidify, you know, why it's not that odd. Um, even though the art <laughs> makes them look very, you know, very distinguished in terms of the age gap. So, right. One last one before we move on to Captain America White issue one, but uh, it's funny because there's a bunch of flashbacks that were happening around this time in the main Captain America book because this is like when Bucky took over as as Cap and, you know, was fighting the Red Skull and all, all that weird shit that was happening in that book where Red Skull was like living in the brain of someone else. It's a wild. <laughs> I cannot wait to get to that shit on this show. But like they purposely like made Buck look older in those flashbacks mm. right they like they really like cut down the age gap between the two characters whereas this like it seems like all they're trying to do is accentuate it like they're trying to right. make him look as young as possible while still being feasibly 15 or whatever the fuck he is you know right right <sighs> all right Captain america white issue one september 15th 2015 same creative team same creative time uh steve rogers wakes up in a medical bed and screams bucky As he dashes towards the door, he's surrounded by then-Avengers, Iron Man, Thor, Wasp, and Giant Man. After breaking the news about how long he's been in the ice, he meets up with his old friend Nick Fury, who gives him Bucky's Medal of Honor and then leaves him alone to reflect on the loss of his friend. He remembers a tough firefight in the North African theater where he and Bucky show up by motorcycle and rescue Nick Fury and his howling commandos. Pissed they needed help from the two, Nick and Dum Dum Dugan take their motorcycle and leave the two stranded. Eventually, they meet up with Command in Casablanca, where Bucky isn't invited to the bar rendezvous because of his age, and he and Steve have a brutal argument. A fight breaks out between Steve and Dum Dum. With tensions high, the two units have to set aside their differences and work together on a mission that they set out for, but their plane gets shot down en route. That fight between Steve and Bucky was so fucking brutal. Whereas Bucky, like Steve is just like, dude, you're not coming. We're meeting at a bar. You're not old enough. He's like, no one cares here. He's like, I care. 
He's like, all right, but like, there's going to be girls there. He's like, and he's like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing with girls. I do. Like, don't you want me there to like help? And he's like, no, Bucky, that's not what this is about. And he's like, what, what are you implying? He's just like, dude, you're a fucking 4F. Like, you don't know how to talk to girls. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he uh, like just fucking brutalizes this man. And uh, one of the most, I think, like interesting conversations where like it wasn't the egos of them as these heroes who were capable of doing so much, but it was about like their limitations as people, right? Like it was about like Bucky's age being a limiting factor. It was about Steve's inexperience as like a dude talking to chicks as a limiting factor. I, I think that this is like one of the best fights in the entire book is this conversation between the two. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, well, and, and kind of reverse the roles, right? Like you would think the older person knows, you know, has more, of those like mature experiences than the you know kid who's like 17 years old and everything and and so it's it's really interesting to see how the dynamics are flipped in this way i still think it's kind of weird that you have this 17 year old bucky that's saying like you know i'm more experienced with girls than you are to this other guy like i just don't i can't see a 17 year old like telling that to someone that's like seven years older than them mm-hmm. um you know when they're like in their mid-20s and stuff like that but i mean at the same time i think it was actually i think what they were trying to do is be able to kind of show just like what you said the limitations of each one um because you kind of have to have that with captain america like you know where where is he like kind of inexperienced in some of these areas and it's probably yeah. you know you know like relationship with with women because he's never really you know you know, gone into that. It's always been, you know, wanting to do what's right and, and, um, and, you know, preoccupied with world war two and everything. So it's, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting way to kind of see more of the dynamics because later on we get to see them, you know, Bucky become his little sidekick and where he gets the name from because he doesn't want him to, you know, be calling him James for a number of reasons. And then mm-hmm. they get into their first battle and Bucky almost like kills them. And you can see that, you know, Steve, like first reaction is trying to be protective is kind of talking to him like he's his father. And he's kind of like, you're not my dad, you know? And yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really a, just kind of like a, a brutal insight in terms of like a deeper look at the dynamics of the relationship and, and how it's just kind of very different from other kind of duos and just, you know, people who interact with each other, you know, in that different kind of age gate, uh, age gap. Mm -hmm. uh there's a couple lines in this issue too where like steve is clearly talking about one thing but like we know what he's really talking about he's clearly talking about bucky Mm -hmm. so he's talking about like the fight about like killing people and he says they say in war you shouldn't fire until you see the whites of their eyes how close should that really be close enough to see him through your gun sight to put a bullet into your enemy to know you're about to put an end to all he has and all he ever will be Mm mm-hmm and it's just like, I don't think he's talking about the Nazis he's taken out. I think he's talking about Buck, you know, and just like, oh, this fucking kid had so much potential that was cut short because he had to die. And it's all my fault. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is I mean, this whole series is just kind of. A, a him is, is this whole series of Steve Rogers showing how after all these years, he's still bearing the guilt of responsibility. Like he feels like he's responsible for anything that happened to Bucky. And, and mm-hmm. ultimately since he died, he really feels like that. And it's just like looking back on like, what could I have done differently to like save and protect him and all that. Um, and I think that's kind of like the, you know, the first inklings that we see there is, you know, is, is there something else I could have done to, to protect him? Um, so, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's really insightful in that. Um, 
using, you know, that kind of language that can be applied to a number of different things, but most prominently it can be applied to like the more obvious direct one, but can also apply to how he's feeling about with bucking what he could have done to, you know, prevent his death from happening. And just, you know, again, he just feels responsible for anything that happened to Bucky and, and mm-hmm. anything that's bad. He always just takes it personally that, you know, it's, it's his responsibility to, to take care of him, make sure nothing, you know, happens to him. And there's a, a line at the end of the book. And this is the last point, I think before we move on to the next issue where um, he says, in hindsight, it was stupid of me, but I couldn't get out of my head that the last real conversation we had was the fight over whether or not you could go to the club. It's a terrible thing to have to learn. That sometimes you don't get to say everything you need to before someone you love dies. And I just think that's really interesting because he talked about the role reversal about how like Bucky was like the older, more experienced person just in terms of like actually living compared to Steve. Because he went from, I think his own words were 98 pounds string bean, you know, in, into Captain yeah. America. So like he didn't really get to live because he didn't feel adequate enough. And then he was too important to do anything but the job, you know. And so, like, the, this sentiment is just, I feel like it's so common in movies and, and TV shows where it's just, like, the last thing I said to my father before he died, like, I didn't know, you know, and it's just some horrible yeah. thing, you know, like, I was watching Field of Dreams the other day, and it's like, oh, the last thing he said was, like, Shoeless Joe Jackson was, like, a, a fucking thief or whatever, like, a, a criminal, <laughs> and it's just, like, that's the, the fact that, like, that was reversed too, where like Steve is talking about like the son who said like, you know, regrettable words to his father before his father passed. But like he, he thought Bucky was dying, you know, like as the plane was shot down. So like, I just think that that's really interesting too. Just an, another flip of uh, the dynamic you'd expect. Right. Yeah. I, I think one thing I want to add here with this issue, and I, I think it's this issue. If it's not, um, it's, it's a different issue, but in talking about the art, there is um, a panel. And again, I think it's this one where, Bucky is on the back of the motorcycle of um, with Steve Rogers, but the way he's like drawn in position is just really awkward looking as well too. Like, oh, he's at like a right angle, right? Like, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it is. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, no one rides a motorcycle like that on the back, you know. So yeah, it just again like some of the art is beautiful and some of it you're just like what the hell is going on here <laughs> i agree with you and like that is like it's it's so temperamental of me and it like really depends like honestly like what mood i'm in when i'm reading the book but i'm like <laughs> this is so fucking cool because this could only exist in comics you know it's just like right. no one else would ever think to do anything like this like you couldn't even shoot a movie like this because like people can't do this like this is ridiculous Right. break the realism and then in, in any other day i'd be like and it looks like shit like no one rides a motorcycle like that like it really is just like how did i wake up that morning did i get my did i get my full eight hours like have i yeah. <laughs> have, have i had my my morning tea yet yeah captain america white issue two uh comes out two weeks later september 29th 2015 Bucky and the Howling Commandos find themselves in the Atlantic Ocean floating with the wreckage of their plane with Cap slowly sinking to the bottom of the ocean Against the advice of Nick Fury, Bucky dives below and finds his friend. Unfortunately, though, his shield strap breaks and falls to the darkness below. Cap doesn't care, though. He's just happy to be alive and to have another chance with his friend, Bucky. Cap rallies the commandos with a message of hope, and the group latch onto a floating piece of debris and get carried to shore. Before they start the treacherous climb to get off the beach, uh, Namor pops up out of the water, throwing Cap his shield. The soldiers navigate the dangerous climb. And at the top, find themselves staring down the barrel of a Panzer tank. Okay, so can we talk about Namor here in this issue? Uh, Deus Ex Namor, yeah. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about it. 
the man is never mentioned before or after this panel, this page. He only shows up in this one page. And and I'm sorry, but it just feels like it's a complete plot device for one, for somebody who probably really loves Namor that wanted just to be able to like draw or write him in. But he literally jumps out of the sea, says Imperius Rex, throws the shield off to the shore, and then disappears. And he's never mentioned about again. Like, not even the the Howling Commandos were like, you know, what the hell just happened? Like, who is this guy that just jumped out of the water and threw the shield? You know, like, wait, you know that dude? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it wasn't it was just like, oh, yeah, that's perfectly normal. You know, like, you know, have you not seen other, you know, men that jumped out of the sea to do that sort of thing? And, and the whole, and it's, it's a plot device type of thing because earlier in the story, Buck had to take the shield off of Cap because it was so heavy um, that he was trying to pull Cap up into um, the surface of the water so that way he doesn't drown. Um, but he couldn't do it with the shield because the shield was like adding weight to it. So he cut it off and it ends up in the bottom of the ocean, you know. And Bucky's feeling terrible about that because he was talking about how there's only one in the world that has that. Um, and, you know, Captain America said, like, you know, that that your life is more important than you know the shield and all that and then out of nowhere again namor just shows up throws him the shield and then cap gets his shield back and then everything's like back to normal it is the weirdest thing i've ever seen in a comic book issue it's especially weird because like throughout that entire sequence he was talking about hope and faith yeah and like it would have been more meaningful if like it washed ashore you yeah, know, like that would that would have had like more, I guess, poetic weight. And there's a quote where he's talking about like objects. Right. And he says, when we lose someone, we have a tendency to hold on to things in their memory. Meaningless to anyone else. A broken watch that won't keep time. A rock no bigger than a dime. Mm -hmm. A book we read but promised to return. I know a little something about holding on to things long after you should. We get attached to these things when it's the people we should stay attached to. Their hopes and dreams become ours to carry on. Yeah. And so, like, because of <laughs> because of that, like, you really would think that, like, it wouldn't be such, like, a contrived device. Honestly, when I was earlier when we were talking about, like, this book has faults, this is, like, one of the faults I was thinking of. And, like, I get it. Namor was part of the Invaders. It was him and, you know, Toro and Human Torch and all this right. shit. Like, sure, that's great. No mention whatsoever. So, like, for all intents and purposes, <laughs> they, like, just don't exist in, in this book, right? Right. Yeah. Outside of that one page. It's you know, and incredibly it contrived, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that you're talking about how Steve is talking about, you know, we shouldn't hold on to things, we should hold on to people and all that. And then, like, right after that, like, he gets the shield. He gets the shield like, back. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my, my, my things. I got my thing back. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, we should really hold it. Be oh, my shield. Great. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were talk, talking about, so like, the, the color theme, too. Like, I think this issue probably does white the best, where it's, like, that white fog. Like the mist or fog, uh, yeah. On the beach. Like, yeah. but it's weird, too, because, like, the other color books like it was just such like a prominent explosion that like draws your attention to the color of the title right like it was mm -hmm. Hulk gray daredevil yellow spider-man blue and like all those things really popped and like i don't think the white stripes on steve's uniform or on his shield particularly popped in this but like like a lot of the background elements that were white did where like right. you see like leading lines of like white from like spotlights or whatever but like this mist and like the mountain i think are like the most white prominent things in in the entire book so yeah strange decisions again but like more more interesting to talk about after the fact because of that definitely yeah i agree um you want to move on anything else from this issue no just name more that yeah, that was the biggest thing i want to talk about i was like what the hell is this <laughs> yeah that, that fucking guy yeah <laughs> all right uh captain america white issue three comes out october 13th 2015 
Cap, Bucky, and the Howling Commandos are taken prisoner by the Nazi patrol. Cap manages to free himself and subdue them with the help of his friends. Instead of throwing them off the cliff like Dum Dum suggested, Cap ties them and takes their uniforms, moving through the French countryside in the open as a prisoner of the Commandos. They're happened upon by a French resistance cell who fights them to a stalemate when Fury uses the code word Mockingbird to prove their identities. At camp later that night, Marilyn, the leader of the cell, admits to throwing the Nazi patrol cap that disarmed earlier off the cliffs for crimes against France. The two groups move through the sewers of Paris and through a manhole. Cap is able to see a Nazi rally and confirms their target. The Red Skull is in Paris. Yeah, so with this one, I got to say, there's some odd art going on in this one. Um, especially the scene where, you know, the Howling Commandos and Bucky and Captain are on their knees, like, you know, being um, taken hostage by the Nazis here. This scene, like the tank just looks disproportionate in terms of a realistic tank, which, you know, when it comes to art, like, again, one of the things I love about this whole series is that a lot of this looks a lot more like painting than it is with like realistic um, depictions of what's happening. So, I get like this is supposed to be more of like a, a painting type of thing where um, it's not supposed to be like visually like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, proportionate necessarily. Realistic. realistic. Yeah. Not realistic necessarily, but like to scale basically. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like the tank is not really to scale. So it's kind of an odd thing. And then you got like this gigantic mammoth of a man that's in here that like towers, all the other Nazi soldiers. And I'm just like, is he supposed to be a, like a monstrous sized person? That's like, like, it just looks really odd. And he's the only one that has the helmet with the swastika because mm. everybody else doesn't have that, but he does. And so it's just, it's kind of like this odd thing that I think there's a lot more going on, but I'm not picking up on it. Like, I just don't know like, like what the symbolism is here or if he, if he's supposed to symbolize like the presence of, of Nazis by being bigger than everyone else and having the swastikas there and all that. But it's just kind of a weird, like art to, depiction on that for there whatever are, reason. There are some interesting choices made, especially when depicting the Nazis because like Steve and uh, Marilyn, like really like go over the top referring to them as savages like right no sorry not that they weren't savages i'm not defending nazis but like they really like they just use that word so frequently throughout the book and like the nazis are drawn differently right like a lot of them have like underbites or like overbites like really right. like expressive like lips and like jowls yeah like they just have like such distinct features and so i do think that like that was probably just like trying to back up the writing right where they were just talking about these dudes as like monsters which you know Fuck Nazis, fuck Comic Gate. <laughs> Com- Comic Gate is a hate group. <laughs> yeah. Know. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. D- don't know what else to say about that. They they're bad people. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like I, I think it was just to reinforce that notion. Yeah. But um, you're you're right. Where like, especially compared to like the French Resistance, he does get a little um, cavalier, I, I guess, with like like they feel way more geometric as opposed to everyone else in the book, right? Yeah. Like you can like break them down into like base components of art and geometry way quicker than you can someone like Marilyn or even their their you know the the French dude Batroc, Henri yeah. Batroc. <laughs> well, and it's weird cuz it's just like that one panel where it's very much a painting and mm-hmm. then when you get to like the next page and stuff like that like they don't have these extreme representation like they do in this one. So like 
what later on when we see the tank show up and a couple pages later, like it's definitely proportionate. It's it's not you know the same kind of tank that's been drawn in this other page as well too. So it's so there's clearly like in this specific panel that they were trying to do something with it that is more artistic than it is with like what you see in, in the traditional comic book um, art and all that. It's just, it just threw me off. Cause I was just like, I, I wasn't expecting that and I didn't know what to make of it. And I still kind of baffled by what the representation is here, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right with the distinct pictures. It's definitely there. Um, and like, you know, just later on, like it just seems more real, like realism, with the with the drawing and everything so it's just again interesting i think all of this is just like can be seen as a form of art because it seems like it's supposed to be more of a painting than a comic book you know um art form and all that and so i really commend it for taking that approach is that one just really stuck out it's just like what is going on here right uh, they also introduced the hottest character in the entire book series, Marilyn, um, <laughs> leader of this French resistance. So they they call them gypsies. I don't feel comfortable saying that word. Uh, I'm just going to call them Romani from here on out. I feel like that is uh, universally agreed upon correct way yeah. to address, address that group of people. Um, this is the only time that he even brings that up. Like, yeah. I think he's only said it once and then they just kind of move on with that. So, yeah. yeah. But she has a quote after uh, Steve, like, unloads on her for killing the Nazis that he left you know, captured or whatever. Those right. men, Captain America, were Nazi bastards, responsible for the raping and killing of more French people than you know. Women, children, to them, no difference. Do not judge us. It is not your country which is occupied by the Germans. And despite what the higher-ups have ordered us to do, there are so many of us who do not relish the idea of the Americans as our saviors, particularly mm -hmm. one who is so brazenly dressed up in your flag. Right. Yeah. Yeah, French in America has a pretty interesting relationship. I'm glad they kind of, you know, took a moment to kind of dive into that a little bit especially i mean especially you know let's be honest like in, in american history we only hear like you know the great things about america during world war ii and we don't hear like you know how that comes how that came across or, or the different countries history of like their depictions what happened and all that right well that and also like i wonder how this book plays out if it was done before america tried to fucking rebrand french fries as freedom fries <laughs> you, you know like there's just so much like dumb baggage bullshit that like yeah. I, I wonder how much that affected the book because like i don't know i've had like pretty great experiences with french people I, my friends have had pretty great experiences with french people and right. like there, there just seems to be like such a fucking uh hostile relationship and i get it, it's building tension you know and like i don't yeah. know like are they, are they flirting maybe bucky <laughs> seems to think she's flirting with him and right. so i like i don't know like what story and what's like just influenced by current events as opposed to like this being like an authentically 1941 story so right yeah <sighs> i mean I'm, I'm sure there's there's some of that going on there because like that's exactly what she's talking about it's like you know the french are getting overridden and like they, they probably you know have that little animosity of like the Americans feeling like, you know, they're coming in to save the day and all that. And, and let's be honest, like the French were fighting this a lot longer than Americans. And, you know, and like the Americans feel like, yeah, we won the war, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, putting in, you know, your star, like halfway through the game, <laughs> you know, all fresh and all that. Like when everybody else is like, you know, kind of tired from like doing this for three years and all that. Yeah, like, it's like, no, we, we played the whole 48 minutes in France, my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Captain America White 4 comes out November 10th. 
2014, or sorry, 2015. I was highlighted four because it's issue four. I'm a dummy. Um, <laughs> Red Skull proclaims that the only reason Paris isn't burning is because of his intervention and that everyone should thank him as their savior. Just as Cap is about to take off from the sewers and knock Red Skull's head off, he's stopped by Marilyn, who reminds him to stick to the plan. From an abandoned church, the two groups make uh, a plan to stop the Red Skull and Baron Von Strucker from sacking and raising the Louvre. Meanwhile, Marilyn and Cap get into the politics of war as she fixes the straps on his shield. Hearing noise outside his room, Cap barges out and accidentally gives Bucky a black eye. He calls him James, expressing his displeasure and outing his friend's identity in the process. Later that night, as they're about to stop the Nazis from looting the Louvre, Cap realizes Bucky isn't there and had gone off to take care of the Red Skull himself to save face with Steve and make up embarrassing him earlier. Cap breaks off the Louvre mission and heads to the Eiffel Tower where Red Skull is holding him prisoner. Unfortunately for the commandos, they are betrayed by their source and find themselves in a trap set by Von Strucker. Good, yeah. good issue. Meaty issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I there was a lot that happened in this issue that it it didn't feel like rush. It felt like it was really, you know, a lot of deep moments and you're really surprised that they got in within like, you know, 21 pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the art was really interesting in this one, because going back to what you had said about, you know, them kind of depicting what the Nazis look like, um, red skull and, uh, Von Strucker definitely look a lot like very grotesque here. Yeah. Um, and that they're drawn in a very different style than all the other, characters to kind of give them that you know very distinct look and very unnerving look mm-hmm. um again th- this is you know this is art in form of a it seemed like this could be someone painting a scene or something that they could hang on the wall and all that because of how it resembles and all that so i think tim sale did a great job of of you know doing this art for the series because it, there's a lot of panels i could be like i could see this like you know just something that po- someone put up in a museum or you know have had like an art gallery or something like that because of how it's drawn and and it just it looks like it's painted and all that and and it's really really uh well done from an artistic point of view yeah and also this issue has one of the sexiest two panels i've ever seen in a comic where um (laughs) cap and and marilyn they're you know absconded as part of the, the church so she can fix his shield and he goes you don't like me very much do you marilyn and then just like the camera panel, like I don't know how else to put it besides the camera. The camera's like below her eye line. And so she's looking down with like all this shadow and you can't even see her mouth. But the word bubble just says, if I gave you any thought at all, I would probably despise you. Right. Yeah. Which like, let's fucking go. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's hot as hell. Uh, I think composition is probably what you're looking for in terms of like how it's like positioned and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it, but I mean, that's a great thing to point out. Like, you know, the position and the angles of the scenes that's happening, like, says a lot. Um, that you're not just, you know, saying it with words, but the art really captures the uh emotional part of what's actually being said and all that kind of gives it a little bit more context and a little bit more uh depth and and that goes beyond just reading the words, but like, you know, the art can really relay like how it's being said and i think you know just like what you said like you only see her eyes and and you don't really see her mouth or anything like that it gives that like kind of cold look Mm -hmm. that it really comes across as like nope (laughs) yeah god she's 
smoke show. Um, <laughs> also, Steve is like really going through in this. Issue. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's really going through it this entire series. But a couple of quotes here. Uh, we used to see the world in black and white, like the news rules in most of the movies. Was it a simpler time? And it just like him just re- reflecting on how like actually how complicated the world was from this era that we all think of, especially as like, no, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, pre 9-11 was fucking great. It's like, yeah, but like post Pearl Harbor, not that great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, you yeah. saw it like I did, right, Bucky? That's the one thing I could always count on in my partner. With you gone, without you to back me up, what has my life become? Right. Yeah. Heavy, yeah. Heavy, it, heavy shit. I know. Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting because I feel like that's always part of the social discourse, no matter where we've been in history, is that we always think like the past was simpler times. And I think, you know, it's because it was a simpler time for us, may not have been a simpler time for, you know, people our age who are living in that time as well, too. Right. So I think, you know, for him to say, like, you know, those were like simpler times with black and white. We see later on that, you know, he's he's realizing that, you know, that it's not as black and white as what we thought it was. But, you know, this is how you saw it. And then as you kind of grow mature, you see that everything is not as black and white as as, you know, people thought it was mm-hmm. but it seems yeah. like that's what they're people is always talking about it's like you know back in the day it was a simpler time it's like yeah not really like there, there's a there's a tiktok video i saw where people will go around and asking like you know when was america like the greatest and then they'll give like a time like you know oh you know 19 you know 16 was great and you know ni- the 1950s blah 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 and they'll point out like Oh, you know, like when women didn't have the right to vote or oh, you know, yeah. civil rights issues like were yeah. a problem, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, pre-civil rights. Yeah, historically great time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's just like, you know, people are, it's the romanticizing of the past that you don't take into consideration, like what are the things that are actually better now than the, what they were before. Um, and so I think, you know, that's probably what's also kind of being relayed here is that, you know, things seem simpler but not really when when you kind of go through the that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the quotes here too that you alluded to earlier. Um, so Bucky and his like the younger guy from the Howling Commandos are like spying on Steve through the people, like wondering if they're gonna fuck. They're they're just porky is it. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve opens the door and just like fucks up Bucky's eye, right? And he yeah. says, looking back, I don't know if I was more angry at you or at me for how I reacted, but he just like says like with a loud voice, like James, you know, like right. re- really dressing this dude down. And then like him and Bucky tried to talk about it later. And then Steve says, I made a mistake. That's all. You know, better than anyone that underneath this uniform, I'm just a man who can make mistakes. Right. Yeah. And I got to say what he said is so is such a parent thing to say. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is, you know. And so like that's in and I think that really solidifies like how he saw his relationship with Bucky and, and it, I don't think it's like like he wanted to. I think he felt obligated. Uh, like I think he he felt obligated because of Bucky's history and his relationship with him that he needed like some sort of father figure, but he was doing it because he thought it was like the right thing to do. And that that's what Bucky needed. Not realizing that what Bucky would probably really need. It was Steve, his friend mm-hmm. and not Steve, the, the pseudo dad, right? Like yeah. the, the villain dad. Um, but that was such a yeah dad thing to to say, because that guilt is kind of real of like, when you get upset with your kids, like you always go back, like, you know, was I really upset with him or am I upset with like how he acted after that? You know? So yeah. Yeah. Or am I projecting my own bullshit on my kid and, 
that too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making it harder on him for no reason when really like i gotta work on my shit exactly um, yeah anyways on that great note captain america <laughs> white issue five comes out december 29th 2015 I just can't believe I bought that first book when I was living in my hometown. And then I bought that last issue when I was like in San Francisco. Oh, interesting. Like, I, That's I just, cool. It just moved around a bunch. Yeah. I had like lived in LA, Vermont, England, and Boston since like through the duration of this entire series. It's just in Maine. It's like, oh man, I like this book, but it sure took its sweet ass time. Right. Um, <laughs> Cap raced his motorcycle up the foundation of the Eiffel Tower to launch himself onto Red Skull's blimp before he can escape. It's a pretty one-sided fight, honestly, as Cap is just annihilating the skull punch after punch. He says, I hit him with everything I had, super strength and all. I can still feel my hand crushing into his thick head decades later. Truth Mm -hmm. be told, I wanted to kill him with that one single punch, but evil never dies so easily. Uh, meanwhile, at the Louvre, though outnumbered, the Howling Commandos and the French Resistance managed to take out Baron Von Suckass and liberate the museum. <laughs> High above the city on Skull's Blimp, he's about to detonate his bombs and burn Paris to the ground when Cap knocks him clear off the blimp to the ground below, destroying his detonator in the process. Cap and Bucky fall to the ground below, but are saved by a last-second tent top placed by the Commandos and Maryland. They're part of like a traveling carnival show, so it was, it was very on-brand. Right. At the lower observation deck of the tower, Cap and Marilyn share a kiss, Cap and Fury share a moment, and Cap and Bucky share a laugh. In modern day, then modern day, you know, a month after Cap comes out of the ice, Cap destroys his memorial statue at Arlington National Cemetery, apologizing to Bucky one last time for failing him. And that was Captain America White. Yeah. Kind yeah. kind of kind of an anticlimactic episode or issue. Sorry, uh, I gotta be honest, but um, it really did feel like I think by the time this series had ended for sure. But like Ed Brubaker, by the time Steve Rogers had come back, they started doing like backups at the, at the end of those issues, and it was right. a lot of like Gene Colan drawn shit, which is just like very similar vibes. Like it has like that painted brushstroke feel to the art, mm-hmm. and. Um, this this book really really captured that, and it, it it does feel like it could have been told in in backups uh, in the main Captain America title. I I don't mean that like derogatorily. Like I I, I don't mean that as like an insult. Um, right. But I was a little underwhelmed with Cat's like epiphany at the end. But like I do think this entire thing was just about him dealing with like should Bucky have been there or shouldn't Bucky have been there? Yeah, you know. And um, he had a quote in issue three where he said the war i remember warning you that it wasn't like in the movies but even i didn't think it was going to cross so many lines if i had known then what i know now would i've ever let you put on that mask the lives you saved including my own was it worth it and i feel like by the end of this issue he answered that question and it wasn't worth it right yeah yeah i mean especially with you know the memorial like like that that last couple of pages like really amplified you know his response and and what he thought about because he saw the memorial with Bucky, he saw the memorial of himself, and he got like so upset with everything that he destroyed his memorial mm-hmm. and not Bucky's. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about how he felt with the whole thing. Is that the fact that he destroyed his own means that he was like angry with himself with what happened, right? And that yeah. it, just like what you said, it, it wasn't worth it because in the end he 
died so early on that he probably wished that there was another way to keep him out of the war. Um, well, I got, I got, I got great news for Steve in regards, <laughs> in regards to Bucky. <laughs> right. Um, but I think you're right. Like this was anticlimactic, especially like with the um, with the scene where where Steve Rogers like is telling Fury is like that said Red School has the Eiffel Tower rigged to blow, and 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 Fury is like, no, actually, when you punch him off, like he must have that nader on with him, and and it destroyed. So we're good. It's just like, oh, okay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Like I was like writing my summary. I was like, do I even want to get into this because it's so random and bullshit? Like, no, I don't <laughs> actually. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it straight in my summary. Like same vibe as Namor showing up, right? <laughs> well, that did you ever see that movie Beer Fest? Um, I've seen a lot of parts of it. I don't okay. know if I actually there's went a, through there's the whole a, thing. There's a scene where this dude just dies, and then the next scene is his twin brother showing up, played by the exact same uh, actor, yeah. and it, it, it just like it has like the same like don't even worry about it. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like I'm here. <laughs> I, like it's all good now. Like it's just like same exact energy. Yeah, at, at the end of that, and like I'm a little disappointed. This is unfair for me to compare it to the other books in the color series, but uh -huh. I feel like they really punch your heart in the balls in the last couple pages. Mm -hmm. And but like tying everything together and like making the like reinforcing the 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 strength of the conceit, right? About like, oh, this is a letter, like a letter has an ending kind of deal. Like this is a a tape, a tape runs out at the end. Oh, this is a therapy session. Like those have to end. But there's right. no like finality to this book, right? Because it was just him like thinking, thinking. really, really sadly, you know, like there was no right. punctuation at the end of it. Um, so I, I think that made it a little weaker too in, in terms of like the wrap up. But all things considered, I think because of all the faults of this book and because of like all the question marks of this book, this is probably the one I, I am going to reread the most. To, mm -hmm. to like Daredevil Yellow and Spider-Man Blue and, and Hulk Gray. Like I think of those as like better complete works of art. So like I I don't remember what they said. I don't remember how they look, but I remember how they made me feel. And I'm just so right. conflicted on this book that like I'm <laughs> I'm going to have to revisit it more. But this how we feeling at, at the end now that we relived every exhilarating page and panel. I I think there's just some really weird moments in there, and there's some things that you're just like, uh, okay. But I think overall, like I, I did enjoy the story. I think it was a really touching, heartwarming story of a man who lost his best friend and felt personally responsible for all the things that happened to him because he was personally responsible for him after his, he became orphaned and all that, and he was the best friend, and, and he was the one that got him into the war and not even that, but got the president to say, yeah, like let's have him have a sidekick and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it was a really, a really good, really interesting story. And again, I really like that you can read it as its own story and not feel like you're missing out on anything. Um, it just has the weird moments like Namor just showing up to throw the shield in for that one page. And Man, you're just, like really mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just the most random, like there are random things that happen in comic books. That's probably the most random one I've ever seen so far. Yeah, that's fair. That's like maybe fair. there's something else that I'm just forgetting, but like in my current memory right now, like I'm just like, why even effing bother with that? No, like, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like family guy levels of like bending yeah. back backwards just to include a specific thing. Um, That's a great comparison. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I'm really yeah. upset by that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever let that go. Uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, I I really 
like this book despite all all the issues I feel with it. Um, I think this might be some of Tim Sale's. I don't think it's his best work, but I think it's the work I like the most because it does feel so different. Like there's like a smokiness in this book, you know, like yeah, like there is just like gun muzzle smoke and, and and just like you could like almost smell the the barrels like after they've after they've fired like there's just something like really tactile about this book that i just don't mm-hmm. think exists in the other books like i think those books in a weird way are almost like too pretty too pristine too picturesque and like all those books fit between specific moments like right they fall between issues we had carlos uh at carlos loves sm spider-man on twitter uh Spider-Man expert, if you're ever doing a Spider-Man book and need a guess, I cannot recommend Carlos enough. But like he was able to like point out exactly which issues Spider-Man Blue took place between and was like connecting oh. the dots between like all the actions showing up. And right. we talked about Daredevil being like post-death of Karen Page and all this shit. And uh, you know, like I-, I guess we could find like Purple Man references and like figure stuff out there. But uh, this not taking place, like, it's not anchored to any specific moment. It just happened before Bucky died, right? And right. like I guess more specifically it took place four years before Bucky died. So this yeah. is like one of their earlier, if not their earliest adventure. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a retcon there, but like it doesn't, it's not filling in any cracks that exist in continuity, right? right. Like it's, it's not a supplement. It's not an additive. It's not reinforcing anything. It's just existing. Right. And so right. again, like, I, I feel like I'm shitting on this book. I really like this book. It It's like a, the best way to describe it is like it's a one shot that got turned into a series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I say it because again, it's like it's a story that if you didn't have it, it wouldn't change anything. But having it is kind of like a nice, like, insight into details of like a moment um, that Captain America shared with Bucky and and a, a crisis of consciousness. Um, I'm sorry, crisis of conscience. Sorry. Um, that he had that we haven't seen in the story elsewhere. So it's one of, one of those things is like, it's more of like a, it, it is a nice addition. If you want to, you know, get a little bit more of the frame of mind of captain America and how he sees his responsibility with Bucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, if you didn't have it, it wouldn't really change a whole lot of anything that you couldn't pick up on. But um, but yeah, I, I treat it as like, it was a one shot that was kind of like broken into multiple issues, um, because it's just a self-contained story that kind of gives you a little bit insight of like how he was, you know, processing the death of, of Bucky, um, after he came out of the ice and, you know, how he felt responsible for that. And you kind of see why he felt responsible for that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I've taken up so much of your time. Thank you so much for coming in, sharing your insightful opinions on this book i just realized i was so excited to talk to you about random bullshit i forgot to mention i only have comic book hosts on like uh, sorry comic book podcast hosts on if i like their shows if i actually listen to their shows i I don't listen to very many comic book podcasts because frankly like i could or i could like spend time reading comics but yours is one of the shows i listen to and i I, thank you i I think i forgot to mention can you please talk about the caption look can you please tell people (laughs) why they should be listening to your show instead of mine i listened to your your batman inc episode with that person and it's just just like (laughs) fuck this is so much cooler than my show please tell people about your show and and how they can get in touch with you how they can reach and all that yeah, so I would. So first of all, thank you very much. I I love hearing you know people say that they enjoy the show because then for me it's like validating that it's not just me you know liking my show that I just think it's good. Like other people that I have no previous connection with, like not 
friends or family members are telling me that is a good show. Like, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, I will tell you why you should listen to Caption Life in addition to short box summary. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Caption Life is is a uh, show about comics and and the way it got started was um, originally it was me and two other guys who said like, hey, let's start a podcast show. One of the reasons why I wanted to do a podcast about comics is that at that time I just got back into it. I stopped reading comics when I was in junior high or high school. Um, and then in 2016, I came across Marvel Unlimited and absolutely fell in love with reading comics again. And I missed out on so much and don't know a whole lot about the comic book industry that I thought podcasts would be a good way to talk to other people about it and learn more about, you know, the stories I missed out on and about, you know, the history of comics as well, too. So that's how I got started. Now it's a weekly show where I have um, either... I have kind of like a few things that usually happens. And so I kind of gear it towards people who are really dedicated fans of comics or people who are casual fans. Like maybe they just enjoy maybe just the MCU and they're not really into comics, but they want to learn a little bit more about it. Like I try to gear it towards a wider audience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically the episodes are reviews of um, comic books. I'll get like, you know, other people who are huge fans of a particular comic book series, I'll ask them, you know, what series they want to review or what issue or anything like that. And they'll make a suggestion and then I'll have them on the show to, we'll kind of do a deep dive of that and talk about that and do our own review of it. Um, some episodes are interviews with people who are in the comics industry. So just like what you said, I had Ed Brisson and uh, John Timms on the show to talk about Batman Incorporated, which is a great series. It's a Batman comic book series that doesn't have Batman in it. Um, and it's really interesting right now because um, the latest issue introduced Joker Incorporated. So um, so it's it's a really cool thing. So I have people like them on the show to talk about, you know, their stories or things they're working on, but talk about, you know, the comic books that they're writing. And then the other kinds of episodes we do is like reviews of TV shows or movies that's uh, comic book related as well too. So, so it's a kind of a wide gamut. If it's something that's comic book related, we'll have that on there. But usually, those are the three kinds of episodes that we have on there. And so, you can listen to uh, any of the podcast platforms that are out there that you listen to. We're also on YouTube as well. Um, so, if you're interested, you can go to thecaptionedlife.com and you'll find everything that you need to find about the show there. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you again so much for giving up uh, your your very late Friday night. <laughs> to hang out with me and and talk about uh, an, an older comic i really appreciate it no this was a lot of fun thanks for having me on i really appreciate it all right um there will be a small mini episode next week to look forward to uh but besides that get ready for house of m baby because it is it is coming <laughs> on, on short box summary so thank you so much for listening please like share subscribe please go on and, and like share subscribe review uh the, the caption life like i said i I listen to a lot of shows, but that one has made it into its rotation. And I'm going to be relying on you even more as um, we're in the NFL offseason, as we're approaching the NBA offseason and the NHL offseason. All my sports podcasts are about to go on ice. So um, (laughs) always happy to have another comic book. I could just, you know, just next man up mentality. So (laughs) sounds good. Thank you. Appreciate it, Sean. And uh, we'll be back in your ear holes next week. Mm